Um, no, you can't have my potato chips, in case you were wondering. Um, I, I'm uh, contagious, and I've touched all the bags. Uh, I really am contagious. Don't try to shake my hand afterwards. Um, I, I, I love potato chips. Um, hi, my name is Keith. I have a potato chip addiction. Um, I got in trouble because hers was missing. Speaking of which, I think there's a bag missing. That just hit me. There's a bag missing there. Well, I hope, you don't, I hope they don't get pink eye. Uh, I do love potato chips. Um, I, uh, I don't know when I started, I, sometime when I was a kid, I guess. But I remember when I was a teenager, I would uh, I'd go grab a bag of potato chips, go down and sit in front of the television. And I never had to put the bag away, ever. Just go through that whole bag. And um, the uh, steroids that I've been on uh, for the last 11 months have made me hungry. And they've also made me crave uh, salty stuff. And this is my salt of choice. <laughs> and um, I, I've kind of taken various approaches to trying not to want potato chips so much. And uh, I've told Betty at times, stop buying potato chips. Don't, just don't have them in the house. And uh, because she loves me, though, that goes for a couple weeks, and then she'll see me in the kitchen roaming around, opening this door and that door and this drawer and not getting anything out. And so she goes and buys me a bag of potato chips. She feels sorry for me. Uh, it is a sin that so easily besets me, and uh, I'm hoping that one of these days I'll be delivered sometime before I breathe my last, last breath. But chips are, there's a, they're a great want in my life, and I... Probably if I would try to think through how I got to this place of want, I, I wouldn't really know. I, but I know this. My mind was involved. And if I would ask you the five things you want most in life, whether it's a particular kind of food or you want a, um, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you, you want to be successful in your career, whatever it is, if you could trace back how you got there, you got there through thinking. I want to talk about that this morning. We're talking about greed. And the last two Sundays have been kind of bleak because we've been trying to assess, is it possible that I have an area of greed in my life or multiple areas of greed? And it, it's been kind of slippery, hasn't it been? Trying to, to assess how that is. We, we so often, and I think partly because we, um, our typical MO is to say a greedy person is someone who has more money or more stuff than I do. And, and yet, you can be greedy no matter what your income level is. And we, and we can be greedy like, um, uh, I just blanked down his name, uh, Christmas Carol guy. Scrooge, there we go. Can be greedy like him and we try to, you know, we're miser and collect all this money here. Or we can be greedy trying to collect all that money so that we can buy a lot of things with the money. Or, or, or we can be greedy and we talked about last week um, spending money we really don't have. We can be greedy in that we live for 
some material possession or a certain amount of money. We can be greedy in that we don't give money away, whether to the Lord, to people in need. There's a lot of ways that we can be greedy. And as I've said, I, I fear that as long as we give some money away and as long as we're not buying the same kinds of things that people next to us, whether sit beside us in church or live next to us, are buying, then we feel like, eh, it's not an area of weakness. And I think it's probably an area of challenge for all of us. And I hope you don't stop trying to assess that, but starting today, we want to go spend the next three weeks talking about what do we do? What do we do if we have a particular area of greed in our lives? And we're going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 3 this morning, one of the three main passages, I think, in the New Testament that speak about the life of the mind, the thinking piece. And uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll read a few verses here in chapter 3. Father, uh, first of all, we want to say thank you for the many tangible things you've blessed us with. And the very fact that we had uh, the opportunity to take an offering this morning is an indicator of your generosity with us, your desire to provide for us, shucks, your, your, your desire to give us extra. And we're grateful for that. And yet, we know from Genesis 3 on, the testimony of humanity is, we're always attempted to worship the creation more than the creator. And we're tempted to find our treasure in the blessings rather than the giver of the blessings. Find our security in the stuff whether it's the locks on our door or the size of our retirement fund or the um, quality of our health insurance. And so as we talk, start to talk this morning about what, what can we do to kind of erect a, um, um, something that guards against the, the tidal flood of craving and desire for money and the things that money can buy. I pray that your spirit would speak to us. That he would be unleashed among us to, because all of us have probably different areas of weakness in this. So I pray that the spirit would speak sovereignly to each of us. And the word of God would both uh, challenge and encourage. Now we know the enemy is just He's very happy when we get sidetracked, anybody gets sidetracked, and begins to worship other gods. And so we pray against him this morning and those little whispers that find their way to our heart that say, you really, you deserve this. You should enjoy this. Indulge yourself in this. Instead that we might increasingly find Christ to be our treasure. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 3, beginning of verse 1. <clears throat> Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of, on earth, for you died to this life 
and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, uh, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Isn't that a great line? When, when Christ comes back, not only will we see him in all of his glory, we get a share in it. Those of us who know him, we get a share in the glory. So, therefore, put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Now, I want to make the argument this morning that um, to get to new wants, there are probably some wants in your life that you wish you didn't have, or maybe that you know that God doesn't desire. You wish you'd like to keep them, but you know God doesn't desire them. To get to new wants, the path to that is through the mind. The pipeline to new wants, if you want to call it that, is through the mind, is through thinking. Now, verse 1, he talks about... <clears throat> He talks about the new life for believers. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ. New life with Christ. And the New Testament uses a lot of this kind of language. Very similar language on chapter 3 when Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, how, must I, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And he's like, how do I do that? I get shrink down and somehow go back in, in my mother's womb and... and born again, new life. Now, now, some people talk about new life in a way that really means an improved life. So, for example, our friends uh, Rachel and Poppy came here from uh, Congo uh, as refugees, and I'm sure that they, when they came to the U.S., they're thinking about having a new life. When somebody gets out of prison, they're thinking and talking about having a new life, getting a start. Somebody... Uh, who was in an abusive marriage is now remarried, um, and they talk about having a, having a new life. A, a college student who leaves home for the first time talks about finally out from underneath mom and dad's control, I have a new life. And what they all mean, though, is really not new life. They mean a, an, an improved life, a new and improved life. And sometimes this is a curse that follows people's understanding about Christianity. It's just a new and improved life. No, it's as different as death and life. I mean, you go down to, you go down to the local uh, undertaker and ask to see a casket. Somebody's just been put in there. And you open the casket. I mean, he can't fake it, right? He's dead. Can't somehow get the breathing going again. Can't open the eyes. Can't respond to a, a command. It's one of the reasons that if, if you're paying attention... That somebody who claims to be a Christian but isn't, you can usually pick up on it. Because it's not very easy to fake life when you're actually dead. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's and the New Testament says, that's radical, this is a, a radical change from your, who you were to who you are. You were dead, <laughs> and now you're alive. It's that big of a deal. So don't buy the idea that Christianity is just a makeover program. It's a self-improvement program. It's, it's a killing off of the previous life, and now you, now you have new life. And, 
And when we talk about the, the beginnings of the Christian life, kind of uh, 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 step one, happens by virtue of the mind from the get-go. So you're going along, minding your own business, enjoying your life, and at some point, you begin to realize that you are, your sin is an offense against the holy God and that that's a problem and God's going to hold you accountable for that. And you realize that you're, you're in trouble. You realize that life is coming apart at the seams and you don't have any way to fix it. And, and all of a sudden your mind is starting to shift from maybe one, I don't believe there's a God, or two, I always thought there was a God, but I thought I could be my own savior by being a good person and so forth. And in other words, there are cha changes taking place in your thinking that lead you to repentance and faith in Christ. The very word repent means to change my mind. Change my mind about my love affair of sin and, and, and turn and now my, my love is going to be my heavenly father. To have faith means to, to I no longer either disbelieve that there's any God who's ever going to judge anyone or that I can somehow save myself. I'm changing my mind about that and I'm casting my only hope on the merits of Christ's work. He shed his blood for my sins and if I put my trust in him to forgive me, he will. This is all mind stuff. Are, are you, am I making sense? You follow me? This is stuff that happens in the mind that leads to other things and specifically wants. I want to be made right with Christ, uh, uh, with God. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want new life. So right out of the chute, as, as Christians, there's this transformation that comes ultimately as a result of thinking. Now, by the way, my love for potato chips, I'm pretty sure didn't take any great amount of thinking. Pretty sure. But make no mistake about it, those kinds of things are the results of thinking. You know, you take a taste of something for the first time and you either like it or you don't like it. You either like it a lot or you like it a little bit. I liked it a lot. And my mind was receiving signals from my taste buds, storing away information that would say, ooh, if you ever see those again, grab a handful. It's all coming through the mind might be at the subconscious level, but nonetheless, it's taking place in the mind. I didn't have to give a lot of thought to it, but it came through this avenue of the mind. Now, step, chapter two, uh, step two. So step one is we just be, we become Christians, we get this new life. Now Paul is urging us here in a couple of verses here, he's urging us to keep thinking. Keep thinking as a Christian. Keep thinking. He says, set your sights or your version might say, set your mind uh, on verse 1, on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. There's a contrast there. And then he says in verse 5, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And of course, he's speaking about Christians, so we still have this, um, these earthly things, sinful things still lurking within us. So there is this call to all of your Christian life, be thinking differently, and, and he's, these are actions, these are, these are, are action, mental action commands calling us to change our thinking. So uh, he's saying, do this, do this, do this, and don't do this. Now, when we go home this afternoon, 
My guess is that once you get inside the door of the house, your thoughts about this message, your thoughts about your Sunday school class, if you were in an ABF this morning or, or teen class or children's class, your thoughts about all of this will probably evaporate and be replaced by other thoughts. What's the first thing you're going to be thinking about? Food. Amen. What are we having for lunch, hon? I'm already thinking about it. So we go in the door, we start thinking about food, we eat our lunch, and now men, what are we thinking about? Football. Or, if your team's not playing, nap. Yeah, nap time. Oh, it's so good. These are the things that we're thinking about. And we go on through the day and we're thinking about all those kinds of things. Now, Paul's argument is that if we are preoccupied primarily with the things of the earth, that's going to establish certain kinds of wants. And conversely, if we are increasingly preoccupied in our thinking with the things of heaven, that will be shaping other kinds of wants. Now, don't get stuck in the idea here that, okay, I, I, you know, I'm going to read my Bible uh, an hour, and then I'll think about football for an hour, and then I'll read my Bible for another hour. Don't, don't go there. However, if we are preoccupied with the thoughts of this life, why would we be surprised if our life mirrors that? If our cravings and our wants mirror those things of this life. You think about it. When you get home to glory, if you're a Christian, and the day you, you breathe your final breath and you go into glory, the things that you have been preoccupied here, do you think you're going to be preoccupied with there? You understand what I'm saying? The things that we consume ourselves with here, are they the things of heaven or are they primarily the things of earth? Uh, one of the mistakes that at least I think in previous generations have made with this passage is the, the idea that <clears throat> this is all we can think about. We just think about church all the time. We just think about the gospel all the time. Uh, I think that as we simply have a regular diet of the word, feeding our thinking, you'll be surprised at how um, almost in an unnoticed way, God begins to change your wants. God begins to change your wants through how the things that we're thinking about. Ongoing work of the gospel, in the ongoing work of the gospel, thinking is key. Um, our wants begin as thoughts. And again, not long, ponderous thoughts necessarily, but that there's some sort of consistency. Uh, over the years, if you've been here any length of time, you hear me beat the drum about how important it is for you to read your Bible every day. And the tragedy is, how many Christians think that means this is a religious duty that I must do or God will be upset with me? When in fact, the whole point of it is to be a blessing to you. It's to be a blessing to me. When I read about how kind God is, and I read about how powerful he is, and I read about how much he loves me, and I read about how forgiving he is, those kinds of things I upload to my mind, and they begin to change my wants. 
See, sometimes the fundamental problem we have in trying to see change in our lives is we think that all we have to do is try to simply do better, do different. If I stop doing this, you know, and I start doing that, and, and what happens is we, f- we, fail to, we fail to work at changing the wanting in our minds. It's not, you know, God gives us a lot of commands to do, 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 and don't, don't, don't. And I think so many of us take the approach, I'm just going to kind of muscle it out. I don't want to do it, but I know God says I'm supposed to do it. And so we just kind of grind it out. And then we wonder why there's really little or no success in our lives regarding doing what God desires. How many of you have the new iPhone here? Is it, is it 10, iPhone 10? Is that what it is? It doesn't have a number? Just called a new iPhone? Are you a loyal iPhone user? I, um, I have uh, had a, a come to Jesus moment and I got rid of my iPhone and I have an Android now. <laughs> Preach it, brother. <laughs> so... So those of you who love iPhones, though, um, it probably went something like this. So you hear, somebody tells you about the new iPhone that's coming out, and they're telling you about all the awesome features that are packed into this iPhone. And then you see a commercial for the iPhone on television or the internet, and like, wow, this is going to be awesome. Release date is such and such. You put it in your existing, misfunctioning, current iPhone, and you just checking if you're with me. And you say, pick up new iPhone here. And all of your friends are talking about it and they can't wait to get theirs. All of these things are going into your mental data bank and creating a want for you so that the day before the iPhone comes out, you're almost not fit to live with. Tomorrow's the day. We can only hope that an Android missionary gets to you that day. And you don't make some sort of fatal mistake that you regret for the rest of your life. You understand what I'm saying? The, all of this stuff comes into the mental, into the uh, thinking capacity, and then it gets, um, it gets uploaded there, and then it gets downloaded to our hands and our feet and our mouths out of the cravings. Listen, let me take you to uh, a passage of Scripture before we move on. This is one of the other um, key passages on thinking. Romans chapter 12. Some of you have this memorized. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. <clears throat> Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let me stop right there. Now, if that's all we'd read, you would think, okay, this is another command from God that I have to try to grind out try hard to do I'll have some successes I'll have some failures but listen to how he finishes this sentence don't copy the behaviors and behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way say it with me you think by changing the way you think in other words God is going to reshape how you think about things this is putting new wants, in part, getting to the point of putting new wants in your life. You think about the person who struggles with pornography. We're talking about greed here, but the, what we're talking about applies to every area of weakness in our lives. So the person who struggles with pornography, and they come to you and they say, what can I do? How, how can I 
um, how can I have some defeat this thing that has just haunted me for maybe decades? You say, okay, first thing you need to do is you need to get an accountability partner. Isn't that what typically do? Get you an accountability partner. And the accountability partner calls up every week or you meet together every week, say, how you been doing this week? Have you looked at anything pornographic on the, uh, on the internet or anywhere? So, yeah, I'm afraid I did. Well, how many times did you slip up? So you tell them how many times you slip up. Well, what was happening when, what, what triggered that? What was happening when you succumbed to that? What wasn't going right in your life? And, and on and on and on. And then, we, and then the accountability partner would pray for that person and, the, and they'd say, see, uh, we'll talk next week. Next week's the same pattern. Next week's the same pattern. Next week's the same pattern. Why? Because truth be told, that person wants to look at pictures of naked people doing stuff that should be behind closed doors between a husband and a wife. He wants that more than he wants not to do that. How's he going to change? The want has to change. How does that change? That's a $64 question. How does a person change his or her wants? Listen, it starts in the thinking. It starts in the thinking. And as, as, as someone sees that God is amazing and God is merciful and God loves and God has power in the gospel in your life, that, that kind of stuff begins to get loaded to the heart and to the mind and to the eyes and, and to the feet and the lips in such a way, listen, that want, an increasing want, begins to displace old wants. You see, our problem is we leave old wants in place and then are surprised that we keep acting out on them. What we need is to establish new wants that are going to force old wants out because there's no room for them anymore. So that God can change us by the renewing of our mind. So what are we doing to transform our thinking? Reading the Word of God. Because, And again, we're not reading it so that we can check off a box. I did this today. Well, I'm reading it so I can really see who God is and how glorious He is and how much He's for me and how much He can help me. All of these things come into play. I listen to other Christians talk about how God has been working in their lives. And by the way, the only way we can do this, brothers and sisters, is start having conversations about these kinds of things. We can't help each other unless we talk about spiritual things and not just the football game. I, I love football. I get it. There's nothing wrong with talking about any of these things. But again, if we're crowding out conversations about the Lord that could help brothers and sisters help each other, something's not quite right. Changing our thing. Word of God, conversations with brothers and, and sisters, Christian books that we take in their content. Over time, not this doesn't happen overnight. Over time, displacing self-centered wants by replacing or, or, or uh, inserting God-centered wants. I don't know how many of you saw this in the news, uh, in the news this week. A man in his late 40s walked into a television station and he's weeping and he says, I want to confess to a murder from 1993. And they said, well, we'll be glad to interview you, but you have to 
go to the police first, which he did. And he's sitting there, he's sobbing. And, and you know why he was there? Why would a guy go 25 years later and admit he killed a teenager back in 1993? Because he, he's a Christian now. And he loves Christ. And the thinking that he had previously had, I never want anybody to know because I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be executed. That thinking has been replaced by thinking, I, I want to please Christ who saved me. And so that thinking changed his, his wants. And now he's, who knows what's going to happen. He rolled over on a, two people, accomplices that helped him uh, kill this young man. Started, started here, led to response. I, I don't know what it's like for you. I don't know what assessment you've made in the areas of greed that we talked about in the last couple of weeks. I hope you don't ever stop assessing that. I think we can be victorious over greed, and then all of a sudden we just kind of slip back. But I, I can assure you that if you want to have more and more victory over greed, key issue is, what are you doing? What are you uploading to your mind? What are you thinking about? And is that thinking helping to establish new wants in your mind that are going to displace, shove them out because they don't have enough room, the old ones? The title of my message is, I Now Want Something Else. Now speaks of the person who's become a Christian. I now want something else. I probably should say, actually, I want someone else. We've been talking about who's, who's our treasure or what's our treasure. Talking about who's our security or what is our security. And as we begin to, to see new wants establish themselves uh, in our life, my want, for example, to just have fun begins to have to compete with wanting a deeper faith. Again, I'm thinking of things that are, are going to change over a season, over a period of time, not in an instant. My wanting to just make money begins to have to compete with my wanting to make a difference. My wanting to just climb the ladder of success begins to have to compete with wanting to hold that ladder for someone else. Treasuring just money, just fame, just power, but just sex begins to have to compete with treasuring Christ. New Year's Eve, um, Betty and I were over at uh, Pastor Charlie and Liz's house, and when we get together, it's not unusual for us to play foosball. Um, we really like foosball, and Betty and I especially like it because we usually win. <laughs> that night, however, was the exception to the rule, and we were losing religiously. I mean, every game we lost. And uh, I am a bit of a competitor. I got so upset that I smacked the table behind the foosball table so hard that I bruised my hand. I got about seven spots all over my hand that got purple within just a few minutes. Sanctification's not done yet. But I said while we were there, Char Charlie and Liz's, uh, their foosball tables kind of need some 
tightening up. It's kind of falling apart a little bit. And uh, I, I don't know, did I offer to sell you mine? Is that how this conversation started? I, I'm not sure how it started, but I mentioned that uh, I want a new foosball table. Now, ours is about 20 years old. I bought it secondhand. And wouldn't you, doesn't that sound legitimate? Time to replace that? Can I get a witness? That was kind of poor. Anyway, I said I want to get, uh, you know, I've had my eye uh, on one for uh, probably eight years. Uh, I want to get a, t a tournament model. And uh, they start about 600 bucks and, and go up. And so I said something about it. I want to get a, replace our table. Uh, get a new foosball table, and Betty goes, we don't need a new foosball table. And I'm thinking, oh boy, this isn't going to go well. So I thought I might replace that this year. Now this was the night of the first Sunday morning that I started to preach on greed. And as I, as Betty said that, I think the Spirit of God says, you know she's right, don't you? And then my mind kept thinking, there's a lot of things I buy that I don't need. And I justify them all. And this has been a rough two weeks for me because I am stuck now on the message out of that. Because I realize that God didn't put me here on planet Earth just to indulge my latest whim. To buy this, to buy that. It all breaks down. It all rusts. Moths eat it. Traffic accidents wreck it. Keith, I didn't put you on planet Earth just to enjoy. And if you don't spend that six, seven hundred bucks, that's money, more money that's available for things you do need. That's more money that's available for you to help somebody in need with. That's more money for you to give to the church or to give to missionary trying to stay on the field. I don't know if you know it, but hardly any of the missionaries that we support at Keystone are fully supported. In fact, some of them are under-supported by one or $2,000 a month, but they're staying there. And this is where we're going to go next week. We're going to talk about giving as a hedge against greed. I'm convinced that the greatest power is found in that. that give, I want to give more and more. Yes, to bless the missionaries. Yes, to... Uh, contribute to the needs of the church, yes, to help people in need, but I also do it as a hedge against me just filling my life with things that I want that aren't evil in and of themselves. But whatever money I spend on this, that, or the other is not available for God to use in some other capacity. So part of the reason I'm giving you that heads up is if you don't want to be here next Sunday, you can skip. My guess is that if I asked you the question, how many of you would rather spend 10 minutes doing something versus 10 minutes of thinking? 
my guess is that most of you would say, I want to do something. But make no mistake about it, your doing is going to be shaped and molded by your thinking. That's a great place to start. Let's pray. Fathers, I do inventory in my heart about my wants. I see a lot of them that are really pretty much Keith-centered wants that I have to stretch pretty hard to make them fit into any kind of category called God-centered wants. And in this world that which, in which we live, uh, let me back up, in this country that we live in, this culture that we live in, we kind of mutually justify each other. As long as somebody else has something and they love Jesus, I feel like I should be able to have that. And these, this series is not, certainly not intended, Lord, for us to have standards by which to judge each other. And so help me, help us think through Ways in which, first of all, as we've talked in the last, last two weeks, ways in which we might struggle with greed. And then to begin to wrestle with you what your desires are. And as we begin to think about those, think about you, think about our current wants, to, to, be, to begin to think in ways that are can cause you to shout hallelujah so that our wants continually are being conformed to your wants and so the things that we set our minds on here on earth are actually in heaven and that the things of this earth keep losing more and more their of their luster as the things of heaven become more sweet. In Jesus' name, amen.